Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. How we go? Here's all college football on Chuck Oliver Show. Appreciate y'all coming here for your college football commentary. Of course, that includes NFL draft coverage and previews and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and there's a reason that when we talk about edge rushers, in this year's draft, we need to change that because what we're really saying is there is a reason you would take a guy in the NFL draft, um, defensive end, or out. You want him to hit the quarterback. You need to include Jalen Carter in that discussion. If you're, if you, my team needs to get better at sacking the opponent's quarterback. Um, and so, who are we going to draft in the first round? Now, unless you have the first, second, third, fourth pick, you're not going to get Jalen Carter. But if you do draft near the top. Normally what we say is, who's the edge that my team can add? And that involves a lot of guys in two-point stance, three-point stance. It involves many guys in a four-point stance. And not many of them are true interior guys or what we used to call like a traditional defensive tackle. That's just not what it is. You don't find those guys. Jalen Carr, if you can hit the quarterback as an interior player, like a legit inside tackle – Folks, NFL GMs, that's like cigarettes in prison. There was, and this is, again, I said men of a certain age, there was a guy, he actually passed, my goodness, I don't know, four or five years ago maybe. Um, There was a guy I watched play who was my age, and growing up, I didn't understand in the moment. And then, like, when he was nearing the end of his pro career, I was like, oh, that's why he's so different because I had seen enough football that I started to realize at least a little bit more things. Um, there was a guy who played defensive tackle, legit D-tackle in the NFL for about 10 years. His name was Cortez Kennedy. He was a legitimate pass rusher from the tackle spot, and I've talked about he's about as consistent and dominant as, as a tackle that you're going to find because he also was not a turnstile against the run. Um, and believe me, you get paid. You don't get paid to stop the run in the NFL. There was another guy who played the same position, a guy named Rod Coleman, and he actually played for my team one year and got like 10 sacks as a defensive tackle. I'm not a coach in the league, and I don't know as much about that as a coach would. I'm going to tell you what I think I saw from Rod Coleman when he got 10 sacks as a defensive tackle. What I think I saw was the ball was snapped. He would stand straight up and go, where's the quarterback? And so at the end of the year, he got some sacks, and that's how you get paid. So God bless Rod and his pension and his 401K and whatever he does now with his retirement funds. Cortez Kennedy is one of the best NFL players I've ever seen in my life because he was a tackle who did all those tackle things, be mean and grimy and sweaty. And he hit the quarterback a lot. Jalen Carter can hit the quarterback a lot. 
if you are watching, and that's how you win, by the way. All right, can, can we just skip to the bottom line? That is how you win in the NFL. NFL history, NFL right now, it is crystal clear. Were you watching the Super Bowl the other day? There was a very popular stat that they showed. And I'm actually going to even make it harder. There was an impressive number that was thrown up on the screen about the 2022 Philadelphia Eagles and their sack totals. Second only to the 85 Bears. And my goodness, 85 Bears, man of a certain – I don't even think you need to be man of a certain age. David, our engineer, is 30 or 29 years old. He wasn't alive for the 85 Bears. He knows about the – everybody knows about the 85 Bears. They just – they, like, played with 14 people on defense. Danny White, who was a really good quarterback in the NFL for the Cowboys, he said it's the only time in his life he ever just didn't want the football in his hands. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I'll drop it. I'll throw it to the – he's like, I don't want the ball. That's an NFL starting quarterback who's like, yep, not me. They were ferocious. They said, except for the 85 Bears, do you know the kick in the pants there? That number included the postseason. The Bears had 18 sacks in three postseason games. I'm going to take them out of the mix. If you go back and look at single season, regular season team sacks, it's the only all-time NFL list that if your team did that, they won in big. No other category. If your team is elite hitting the quarterback, you win, and I mean at a big-time big stage. No other category holds clear in that. As far as regular season sacks, number one all-time, 84 Bears, 10-6 and six, division champs. Second all-time, 89 Vikings, 10-6 and six, division champs. Third all-time, 22 Eagles, 14-3 and three, conference champs. Fourth all-time, 87 Bears, 11-4 and four, division champs. You see what this is. Like, I don't have any exceptions yet. And I could go give you the next nine, but it goes on every team on the list of single-season sack totals won double-digit games and made the playoffs until you get to 13th on the list. The 86 L.A. Raiders, folks, there's not one exception until you get down to 13. 86 L.A. Raiders, and follow along with me on this. They had 64 sacks and somehow went 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. Without looking, and I typed this in the moment, because I went and researched the individual seasons, I was like, how do you get 64 sacks and go 8-8? Eight and eight? I was like, there's only one way. The quarterback threw a pile of interceptions. So I went and looked at their stats. Nope, they went 8-8. Eight and eight. They lost six games by six points or less. So, yeah, an anomaly ends a run at only 13. So if you want some examples of other areas an NFL team can be all-time in and see if there's a connection to winning, there's not. Like, literally nothing. Sacks is the only one. Single-season passing yards. You get down to sixth. The 2016 New Orleans Saints breeze through for 5,200 yards. The team went 7-9. and nine. Single-season rushing yards, third on the list. The 73 Bills, they had 3,000 yards in 14 games, no playoffs. Fifth all-time, this past season's Bears. Do you realize that this past season's Chicago Bears had the fifth-best rushing attack in NFL history? They went 3-14. and 14. 
sixth place all time. 78, Kansas City, 4-12. and 12. Sorry, running the ball don't really help you do anything in the NFL anymore. Fumble recoveries, folks, that's turnovers for your teams. The Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. They recovered nine. They beat the Eagles. Philadelphia recovered ten. The 2004 Saints recovered 20 fumbles, third highest total in NFL history, 8-8. Eight eight. Doesn't mean a thing. It goes on. Literally, any category you give me, any meaningful category to measure an NFL team, Team Sachs is the only one where if you did that at an elite level, you won and big. No exceptions. No extrapolating out the numbers, none of that. So to take this all the way back, this is why you will be, if you are, ever so often, ever this happens, I don't know, once every few years, you'll see somebody with a big-time name tweet out his top 25 in college football, and you'll go, dude, where's Clemson? He's like, oh, I forgot. That's, it happens sometimes. I was uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Whatever year Andre Smith came out of the draft, I was the Cincinnati Bengals in a big media mock draft. There was somebody we forgot. And we were like, oh. And, uh. um, if you are trying to do a mock draft or you're going to be talking to folks online or you're watching on TV – and you think my team has the second overall pick, the fifth overall pick, my team has the 12th overall pick, but boy, do we need pass rush. If there is any sort of discussion about an NFL team improving its pass rush and the discussion is edge rushers, you are leaving out a guy who might be the first overall pick in the whole thing. You have to include tackles in discussion about NFL teams improving their pass rush, and I'm telling you that is one of the rarest discussions that you have. A a true tackle who can bust up the interior of an NFL line. I mean, legitimate pressure on a quarterback. Um, And it, because it's so rare, do you know, you know what like the big undoing is? I wasn't going to go here, but it's, I think y'all know this, it's because your quarterback steps up in the pocket. The big undoing when you get a defensive tackle, the reason that's so valuable, because it's so unusual that you actually coach the quarterback when the edge rushers pressure you, what does he do? You ever climb the pocket? You've heard that? It is so unusual and so unexpected. And so, ah, well, you, nah, they're not going to rush from the inside. Um, that the quarterback has got step up in the pocket. Well, it's kind of hard to do that when Cortez Kennedy or J.J. Watt do you count him as interior, like legit interior? I think I might. Um, Aaron Donald, all right, legit interior. Rare, 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 and it screws up everything with a quarterback's little, like the good, you know, little angel on one shoulder. He's saying, climb the pocket, do follow your coaching, and the devil's going, no, fade, just drop back, fade back. Now you're 14 yards behind the line. That's because of an interior guy, and that's Jalen Carter, which, again, if he goes first overall, bully for you. We're going to take a break. Continue on to Thursday next.
Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Uh, you know, I think as he, as he continues to, to grow and just uh, you know, that consistency and just the, uh, um, you know, taking his game to the to the next level. I mean, it's uh, he's got a great future in front of him and uh, definitely excited. I get to coach him for one more year before he takes that next step. Florida State head coach Mike Norvell. Talking about Jordan Travis. That is awesome. Name image likeness keeps get around for a year. He may wind up developing or whatever that last step is that he would because you can't it's hard to learn on an NFL field. That's what people who have been on an NFL field have told me. And that's not just not the place to learn how to play quarterback. So he will have another year with Mike Norvell on the staff there and learn to do the additional things um, at uh, in Tallahassee with Coach Norvell and that staff. And so it really does um, work out great for them. I have a conspiracy. We're going to have Dan on in just a second. But I've got a conspiracy theory I know isn't true, but, boy, it's kind of fun to say. Um, I mean that just like kind of as in – the SEC is so powerful. Today, I've told you, when the SEC announces, there is one particular announcement that they release every year, and it is all the holidays wrapped into one. The SEC announces a parent schedule for 2023 football media days. I'm a planner, and I get a little uncomfortable and itchy when I'm not able to plan. And so there is no need to plan this early, but anything that I can put on the calendar just you know, releases that pressure a little bit. And it's about SEC football and in person, and so that's kind of cool. July 17th through the 20th, Grand Hyatt downtown Nashville. SEC has announced today the appearance schedule for media days, and there are five months for you to get this down, actually five months in a day, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but just so you'll know how they have paired these days up, because somebody has to do the heavy lifting. And there usually is a division. Actually, you know what it is? It's You'll see three or four coaches on a particular day, and you'll, okay, well, who's doing the heavy lifting? And you can probably figure it out as far as attention and keeping the national media engaged there. Or if you load it up the first day or two, there may be some media outlets, budgetary, get there, get all the big names, and then home. And so that, they're going to stretch it out the way they do it. It's coverage on TV, all of that. We all know what, what it is. There are coaches that you'll know you'll never see on the same day. And that's a lot easier to figure out. Most times. Most times. Occasionally the curveball. Day one. LSU and Texas A&M, so you get Jimbo and Brian Kelly, Eli's there as well. Day two, Auburn, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt. Well, there you go. That's Kirby Day. And Hugh Freeze, I would say that's job one, not on Zach Arnett or Clark Lee. Clark Lee, I have expectations that you satisfy Vanderbilt's expectations. Zach Arnett? I have I understand the real ex- right now it's awesome and he's the right guy and it was actually the perfect and the only call we could make and all of that stuff is legitimate and sincere and true and real and needed and awesome you have to win games now 
And so and so that's what that is. And the expectations, they're different than Nashville, but they're also not Auburn. Or, so I'm saying on that day, yeah, Hugh Freeze, job one, that can't be Kirby Day next year. Like, they can't look at you and go, all right, well, who's going to carry the weight because the Auburn program, Hugh Freeze is great. And Auburn traditionally has been filling the blank with 48 great things. Right now, that's Kirby Day. And I know that because the next day is Saban Day. I don't believe that as much as we love Sam Pittman and Mark Stoops and Billy Napier and all three of them, we talked to all of them last year, um, that's Saban Day. And then you wrap it up. This is interesting because the team that we really want to be the hot newcomer in the East versus the team that's got a lot of substance to it that has been unexpected. It would be a lot of fun for everybody involved and on the periphery if Tennessee continued their their kind of arrow pointing at least northeast, mostly north. Uh, and so they're on that Thursday. We've just all been wrong about Beamer, and I, we were talking yesterday. I said, I'm, I'm a fan of Beamer, and I'm kind of biased for him. Am I remembering right? He Like, the only thing, everybody's got something. Everybody's got a history. Uh, like, he was part of that. He got some of the stuff from Wake Forest, that Wake Forest-Louisville game, didn't he? The game plan. But I don't know what the culpability was. I just remember that he was part of that story. Um, and so that's just one, you know, you're looking, well, everybody's got something. Um, Shane Beamer's got two really, 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 really impressive seasons that exceeded everybody's expectations, except maybe his. Um, but that's Lane Kiffin Day. And so if you are not covering, like, if you're not local South Carolina media, probably if you're not Tennessee media, you may hang around for the – because you can have just folks – you hear Lane Kiffin's voice, you're like, oh, wait a minute, what's Lane saying? You see Lane on TV or they'll show a – what they'll do is they won't show Lane talking with a tie on at the podium. TV will show Lane Kiffin, like, B-roll – uh, Lane Kiffin on the sideline during a game with his play sheet, so you clearly know that it's him not talking in the moment, and they'll be playing his audio over it. So you'll go, oh, hey, look, Lane Kiffin. If you hear Lane Kiffin, you listen. If you see Lane Kiffin, you pay attention. And so Thursday, it, he been they weren't good enough for him to have his own day last year, but that's not what it's about. So four days, the ACC, I believe, announced their three days. So they're trying to expand and insist that they are uh, almost as important. Um, so they have the announcement. Media day schedule has been released. Dan, what's up? Well, the good news is no overlap this year. It's going to be uh, weeks apart. So the week before will be SEC. We will likely be in Nashville. And then the following week uh, there in Charlotte, the three-day event, as you just alluded to right there. So I'm guessing cooler hail, uh, heads finally prevailed in Greensboro, North Carolina, with uh, Commissioner Jim Phillips and the crew there of saying, why are we beating ourselves you over know, the head uh, here? When you didn't have a line for three days at the food table, and you looked around, you're like, oh, wait a minute, hey, this is wide open. I'll have the primary. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, there's no line because there's not enough media here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, creating, That's the eye-opener. That is, creating the buzz that might not need to be created. Um, you know, a lot of times that we'll see this in the NFL, and I brought this up before, of kind of a, and I don't know if I termed it as this, but I will now, a head coaching Sherpa. And that is that we will have a head coach who hires a former head coach. And more often than not, that guy is just supposed to be there in terms of, hey, this is how I handled two minutes. 
uh, maybe think about it this way, all of that kind of stuff. What if we're starting to see this now on the college level in terms of helping out the coordinators? Now, I know some of you out there are going to say, Dan, that's analysts. That's that's their job. That's what they do. I get it. But Tommy Reese, who has been an analyst for some time, he actually got some help a couple of days ago, at least according to this time of the year is when people start looking at the directories on websites. Ken Wisenhunt's name popped up yeah. over at Alabama, and he is on staff as, quote, special assistant to the head coach Nick Saban. He's not going to be helping Nick Saban. He's going to be helping Tommy Reese, and he is going to be helping him in terms of what does our offensive identity want to be, how do we want to be able to execute that, all of those different types of things. I understand what the title is, and we also understand what it means to be able to be added to Nick Saban's staff as an analyst, quality control, whatever it might be, to in the same thing. And in this case right here, it's not going to be Ken Wisenhunt. Hey, you know, coach, those last couple of timeouts, this is how I would have used them. It's going to be, hey, Tommy Reese, this is where I think we should break out this play. Hey, this is where maybe play action starts to show up for you. Got to agree with you um, that everybody needs resources. For some people, the resource is I need coffee and I need batteries in the remote so I can, you know, watch more film. And there are some people who look at it, that's all I need. Um, I've, I've said, like, when I do color on a game, give me a two deep, man. If it's a team that I have been watching throughout the season and we get to talk to the coach and the coordinators and all that stuff during the week, I don't need that stack of everything else. Um, but you need resources. And so you look at your OC, and for some resources, they need coffee. I mean, excuse me, for some OCs, the resources they need are coffee. For Tommy Reese, you're saying maybe you need – additional resources maybe you need a former nfl head coach maybe that's what you're after and so uh we will talk about among other topics shannon dawson mike bobo now notre dame having its uh, oc spot filled uh best in the business we're gonna have him on tuesday and boy he just wasn't feeling good so dave bar two will join us uh that's gonna be coming up chuck oliver show after we take a break so again so much still going on in the moment with coaches and coordinators at big time powerhouses coming and going so that's what it is a lifetime of hard work children laughing in the kitchen family photos on a restaurant wall a legacy that lives on it all comes from the power of a conversation like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a Mad Men's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. College football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Thursday on Chuck Oliver Show, live from Harris, Cherokee, and Cherokee, North Carolina. 
Appreciate everybody coming here for your college football conversation. We got uh, day part two, a special Thursday appearance. Now, he's busy. He's sick. Uh, but he's busy. Uh, but there's just so much going on. Uh, personnel movement. Let's just jump right into it. Want to welcome him on. He is college football matrix. He is Dave Bartu. Brother, how you doing today, man? How you feel? Good, brother Chuck. Oh, feeling better. I was just, I couldn't go on Tuesday because I was coughing so much, you know. So that doesn't make for good radio no. <laughs> at no. all. All right, well, we got a window because uh, one, of, one of your other cell phones is going to buzz. So let's just get into this. Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, a lot of uh, there there are plenty of opinions about my gosh, Kirby, you couldn't do any better. And I'm like, well, Kirby didn't get ambushed by this. He had like a, a month lead in, and so he just went down the hall. What do you think of the Mike Bobo promotion? Um, it, it it tells two stories. Actually, I think there's three here. First of all, um, it's what I've been saying for for a long while is there's no great OCs available right now. There aren't. I mean, look at look at Miami. Alabama, Notre Dame, Georgia, n- none of these are, are household five-star names because they don't exist on the offensive side. They're all head coaches. So everybody is dealing with um, less, I think, in that regard. Number two, he's won back-to-back titles. I mean, he could, he could what? He's all in 12 this year and he didn't get fired, so who cares? Don't worry about it. <laughs> he's pulling all the right strings right now. Um, but as far as Bobo goes in general, you got a lot of fans that have a lot of recency bias. They always look at, well, what did he do last last time he was OC? Well, last time he was OC, he was with Harson. That didn't work out so great, but neither did Harson. The time before that, he was with Muschamp. And nothing works out really great when Muschamp's a head coach. So you look at his whole body of work, though, it's still a four-star, three-and-a-half, four-star offensive coordinator. He's had a lot of really good years. I think the big thing about him is he is very good at quarterback development, just like Todd Monken. When Todd came to Georgia, same thing. Three-and-a-half-star offensive coordinator in college, four-and-a-half-star quarterback coach. So Bobo, for a lot of people, they're looking at recently what he's done. I look at his whole body of work, and especially when you start looking at it relative to coaching continuity, relative to what Kirby wants, relative to actual offensive coordinators available on the market, it's not a terrible hire. Shannon Dawson, all right, Clayton Toon's going to the NFL, Tyler Van Dyke's not, power five, big, fat contract. Uh, that's easy for him. Why did Mario Cristobal decide on Shannon Dawson, in, a, in, in addition to the fact that most of the top OCs are now head coaches? Well, I, I think that's I think that's it. Is it. Everybody that's available has a red flag, so you got to decide, okay, which way am I going to go with this? I know a lot of people talk Jason Candle, right? But when you look at quarterback coaching, Candle is not a great quarterback coach. Now, you know, Dawson's a graded out better in that. Candle's more of a ground-and-pound guy uh, when, when it comes to that. So this was another situation where there was a vision of scheme that wanted to be run, in my opinion, uh, specifically Florida athletes down there in Miami. Uh, so we needed a high, you know, hybrid type of air raid. You know, that's really what everybody's running. Nobody's really running a leech air raid. These are all hybrid things. So, um, and Shannon, look, last year as, as a play caller at Houston, uh, top 10 in scoring efficiency at Houston. Uh, I know that in his background with West Virginia, Kentucky, um, Southern Miss, the numbers weren't there uh, you know, re- relative to what he did at Houston. Uh, but these guys kind of figure things out. So uh, I'm hoping that uh, at Miami uh, they get – 
what they saw last year at Houston. Same thing with Georgia. I hope what Georgia gets is is Mike Bobo pre-South Carolina. Ken Wisenhunt, uh, what sort of resource for Tommy Reese and the Alabama O's uh, offense do you expect that to be? With, with now with now with Reese, um, look there. There's been 13 offensive coordinators that have run off three straight top 40 scoring efficiency offenses in the last three years. Uh, Reese is one of them. Um, you know, Reese at Alabama, you know, at, at Notre Dame last year, 65 plays a game, very slow, uh, which I think maybe is is what Alabama needs. So, um, you know, how how. It relates to everybody else there in terms of what they want to get done. I guess that's just a wait and see. But in terms of best guys available, again, not a whole lot of them. Uh, Reese, Tim Cranzy, those guys are all about the the, the same level in terms of our grading system. Uh, Gerard Parker got promoted from tight ends coach at Notre Dame. He's now the OC. And, um, that's again, I don't know how much different guys care about this. I know that it was because Gerard Parker got the job in part because – this guy said no, and this guy said no, and they couldn't agree on a buyout here, and this guy's not now, stay where I am, and Colin Klein, whatever. But now Gerard Parker is the OC. Um, I have no idea what that means. Can you uh, give us some insight? Yeah, I got, I got nothing on that. You know, I mean, people have yeah. said he didn't call any plays at West Virginia. Well, thank God, because West Virginia's offense was terrible when he was there for two years. You know, I've heard, well, he called plays the latter half of one of the years. I wouldn't want credit for any of those years. I'd rather know that he's never called plays than actually called West Virginia plays. It feels like to me, now, if the rumors are true, right, if the rumors are true that they got to the table and suddenly in the 11th and a half hour Notre Dame said, ah, oh, we're not paying for this after yeah. saying they would. Ludwig. And, yeah, and, and Marcus Freeman just said, the heck with this. I'll just promote from within if this is the way it's going to be. So um, you want to talk about needing a miracle. <gasps> uh, promoting a guy from within that may or may not have ever called plays. Woo! You know, hold, hold on to your britches. I, I, I guess from my standpoint, I knew two really good offensive coordinators uh, that fit. Notre Dame that wanted a phone call that never got it. So I don't think they needed to settle. That's why I think Marcus just said nuts to this and just went with, with Parker. Wow. Um, Kevin Sumlin, what do you think he may bring for Loxley and them up in uh, Maryland? Well, he's not going to be the offensive coordinator there. I think he looks, it sounds like he's just going to be helping out. So I I don't know really what he's going to bring other than veteran presence and stabilization. Um, I think, you know, so with Maryland, Again, we don't have a lot of offensive coordinators. One guy that I think – so he there's one guy out there. He's at William & Mary. His name's Christian Taylor. Uh, his metrics after four years mirror Phil Longo's. I think this is the next FCS Phil Longo. Christian Taylor, that's a name. If I'm Mike Loxley, you got to give that guy a call because he's the best offensive coordinator in the FCS, and there's not a lot of FPS options right now. Most head coaches pay for this kind of stuff. He just gives it to us on the air. Last thing I want to ask you about, last guy, um, give me the landscape for Major Applewhite going forward because I found a quote yesterday, uh, one of the hottest young offensive minds in the game. That was from 2007. Uh, So now 15 years later, he may be back to being uh, kind of a hot young name. He got a little rehab stint in Tuscaloosa, and he's doing good stuff where he is now. Uh, And I guess he was sort of in the mix for Miami. What do you think about uh, Major Applewhite? 
Yeah, sort of is a good word. Um, you know, above average, three and a half star offensive coordinator. He's he's his career. Uh, he's a lot like Brandon Streeter. I think his grade for us is like a 63, 64%, which is, uh, you know, about a three-and-a-half-star guy. He's he's a power five offensive coordinator. I think he's better than South Alabama. Um, the numbers haven't said that this is, you know, a, a hot offensive coordinator, but I do believe that uh, somebody in the power five should be bringing him up because he is a lot better than uh, than a lot of guys getting paid more money than him right now. Well, Dave, you busy and for good reason, man. It's supposed to be done. We're not we're supposed to be talking about quarterbacks in the draft and all that. And instead, we're like, "Hey, who's this Power Five <laughs> national champion going to have as OC?" So it's real good for you, man. It's like you know, I know somebody who owns a tree company. He says every time he hears a storm, he hears money falling out of the sky. So <laughs> I guess it's good. Exactly. Good for you, brother. Exactly. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. Bye, Dave Bartu. He is college football matrix. Yeah, I know a guy. He owns a tree service. He says, I was like, oh, bad weather tonight. He's like, I hear money. Well, it's just what it is. Said, uh, And he gets a lot of the city and government contracts from where I live. And so when I'm going, there's this one road that you kind of got to go to to get in my house. And you like, you can't see the houses. There's so many trees that, like, grow over into the middle. And so, boom, trees down in the middle. He's like, I was like, oh, that's Jeff's crew out there. Uh, so that's what he hears when we see all of this movement on the coaching. Um, February 16th, February 16th, when we see all this movement for coordinators and folks, it's not just, I'm saying, like, Kevin Sumlin's a special advisor or, or Kim Wisenhut, special advisor to the head coach, which is it was not what it is. He's helping Tommy Reese in whatever way he can, but, um, this isn't just, hey, what happens at South Alabama if so-and-so hires the OC? This is, what do we think of Alabama and Georgia and Miami and Notre Dame? and What do we think of these programs and their new coordinators in the middle of February? And I don't know if it's done yet. I don't know if it's done. This is something that I haven't been able to figure out, by the way. Did we see the uh, the other day of Super Bowl? Everybody knows. Did you see what happened, like, walking off the field? Patrick Mahomes was yelling, I'm going to Disneyland. And other NFL teams were hiring the Eagles coordinators. Eric Bieniemy, I don't know if it's bad breath. I don't know if he tells the wrong jokes. I don't know what it is. Like, on a resume's resume. So it's there. There might be some of the, well, he's the OC for Andy Reid, so what does that do? You know, Kirby had the, well, he's the DC for Nick Saban. I think you can see that they there are a lot of different levels of he's the DC for Nick Saban. What is he doing? What is his impact? So uh, some of that may be at work, but these are not just middling programs and, oh, did Utah State get a new defensive uh, coordinator? Did Texas Tech get a linebacker's coach? These are the biggest, most monster programs in the sport, and it's the it's two and a half months two months after most often all this is taken care of all right we're going to break come back wrap up on this thursday from harris cherokee next now back to southern sports today and the chuck oliver show Doug 
Oliver Show on a Thursday. We are at Harris Cherokee in Cherokee, North Carolina. Nine states, 56 sticks. Thank you all for the blessing. We talk college football. Just what we do. Harris Valley River, Murphy, North Carolina. I think we're going there next month. That might be the case. Uh, so that's what we got going on. It's fantastic. It's about an hour away, but both places in North Carolina. What do you have? You have live on-site sports wagering from the Caesar Sportsbook. Again, window, kiosk, giant TVs, numbers, all that stuff. Um, and then everything else at Caesars uh, that you would want. So that's uh, HarrisCherokee.com. Uh, join me. Why don't you? I mentioned earlier, and then I got distracted on my SEC uh, media day schedule, that I, I've got a conspiracy theory that I know isn't true, but it's kind of fun to say, at least by the SEC so powerful. <laughs> There's a chance when Marcus Freeman got the news that, well, he and Ludwig, and they just couldn't agree, and by the way, this is a really, really bad look the way it's turned out because you went from a guy who's got like 30 years of coaching experience, has been an OC for, you know, a long, 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 long time on Power Five conference champions and Rose Bowl champions and things. That guy, and instead you went to a tight ends coach that's never called plays. Because of $2 million, you're Notre Dame. What are you doing? You're Notre Dame. So, all right, that's the serious part. Uh, that Marcus Freeman, when he realizes he was going to promote the tight ends coach because they were in a fit over $2 million, What's the chance he waited until the SEC announced their media day schedule so that his the Notre Dame OC announcement would fly under the radar? It's not supposed to be that way. There's a chance it's that way. Um, and don't they lost their offensive line coach as well? Hmm. Why has Notre Dame been winning on offense as much as anything? What have been their two strongest units? I'm going to say offensive line and tight end. Well, they don't really have either coach again. Well, he's still on the staff. He's the OC. He is not going to be coaching tight ends. And if he oversees the tight ends, he will stop in and say hey to the guys that remember him from last year. But that's it. So whatever you care, they lost their offensive line coach that had been in the game for, I don't know, coached like 40 years. Like 40 years. And why has Notre Dame been really good? When they've been good, why have they been really good? Because of this guard and that tackle and this other tackle. And, hey, look, it's McGlinchey. And I, I, it just that's why they've been good. How else have they been good? They got tight ends in a bunch of them. And so that'll probably change. You would think. Now they can hire another great offensive line coach and another great tight ends coach. They can do that. I think that they – I think that whatever went into the final decision to back away from I – and mean, I get $2 million to a guy who's been an OC and not a head coach. $2 million is a lot of money. And so if he was – he's like, I can't afford it. Even to go to – I can't afford it. you got to step up. I'm just not – and he dug in. Women would have worked this out. But because there was a guy on one side of the table and a guy on another side, and the guy, I'm not budging them, me either. I told you, back at a previous job, I used to be at a different radio. This is 15 years ago. I saw the most avoidable accident in the history of automobiles in a parking deck. I saw two men wreck at one mile an hour. It was on the turn in the parking deck, but I'm going to tell you the important, and they literally, I watched this. I was already out of my car. 
as they just inched towards each other and then made contact. And here's the important thing. Neither of them backed down. So with this Notre Dame-Ludwig thing, neither of them backed down. So now Ludwig is the OC at Utah instead of Notre Dame. I call that a loss. At family, environment, we've been here, longevity. I'm, I'm just saying professionally. Marcus Freeman, I call what you have as a loss as well. But you didn't back down. <laughs> Women would have gotten this worked out. So he loses the four-decade veteran. It's just it's a challenge, man. Don't hire like you're in Conference USA. Don't do it. And you did. Dan, how is your Thursday progressing? You know, I can only imagine that your parking garage story right there kind of fits the same example and the same lesson that you took from Ivan during your fraternity days there that women are not doing that. They they are not driving around Ivan on on a joy ride and seeing how many stumps we can run over and all those other types of things. So probably it's the same deal there where it's, of course, a slow speed collision in the parking garage because somebody truly believes I'm right and I'm not backing down. So, yeah. Yeah, a woman would have had him. I mean, they would have been signed and announced at Notre Dame. But they would, by the way, they would have found a middle ground and everybody would have been even happier than they are now. So whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, where it it is also whatever is what's the future of Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. So Bruce Feldman had this note uh, a little bit earlier today that uh, Louisville and new coach Jeff Brom got a huge win, and that came after Garrick McGee, who was being courted by Texas A&M for the job, decided to stay at uh, Louisville. And I bring this up because usually whenever there's situations like this, it can be a one-off. It can be that just a guy looked at it and said, hey, look, I got a good thing here. I don't want to leave. At least I don't want to leave right now. It's not a no forever. It's a no for right now. And that's really important to characterize uh, when it comes to the uh, college uh, hiring game. The other thing as well is that there are two things that you need to look for with a head coach, and you wonder how stable they are at that program. Number one is coaching defections, where you have coaches leaving. Remember this time last year over at Georgia Tech? We had to shard choice leaving Georgia Tech. A guy who played at Georgia Tech, a guy who lives and dies for that university, decided, no, you know what, USC, then Texas is the better one for me. Marco Coleman going to coach at Michigan State. I don't know what Marco Coleman's connection is to Michigan State, but he, just along with Deshard Choice, is a guy that lived and died and played for that university. And you would think to yourself, there's got to be something afoot if they are leaving this program. Sure enough, it was them probably looking around and probably people in the coaching profession saying, he ain't long for that job. You need to go ahead and get out while the getting's good. And that's why they decided to do that. Marco Coleman now back at Georgia Tech with, uh, with, with Brent Key. That's kind of the question that I have here, too, as well. Is is Garrick McGee kind of telling us, hey, Louisville, Kentucky, coaching with Jeff Brom is much better because another 8-4, and 7-5 and five season, even worse in College Station than I next year at this time am looking for another job? That's something to consider on this, and it's something to keep an eye on in terms of how they continue to hire there at A&M. I think it would take an absolute iceberg to the Titanic to get Jimbo Fisher out of there this year. But at the same time, though, too, as well, we, you know, what what stands for being patience right now quickly starts to wear thin when, I don't know, you lose to Appalachian State again. Yeah, it's always an indicator, as you said, when a 
a, an alum, a graduate, a former letterman uh, decides, I'm going to get gone. Now, the opposite can be true as well when the school has to talk to somebody who played there, whether he's a head coach, Ralph Friesian at Maryland, obviously Phil Fulmer. A buddy of mine, Chuck Smith, he coach, he came, he had not been a coach. He had been a private coach and instructor. Uh, and, boy, he can teach people to hit the quarterback. Uh, he's, like, really, really good at that, has elite NFL clients. But Tennessee hired him to coach D-line and recruit one year. And I don't know all the details and never really cared even to ask. But it didn't go well. And it's the kind of thing where uh, either it's the former player who makes a really tough and very public comment about where he played. And you mentioned, you know, Georgia Tech, hey, I'm going to Michigan State. Um, or it's the school potentially affecting the relationship with one of their former great players in a really negative way, uh, and it's in the pursuit. Uh, now, when you get it right, all right, maybe you got like uh, Auburn and Coach Cadillac. Maybe that's when you get it right. Uh, Florida bringing Steve Spurrier home. Uh, but there's always the risk of that relationship, so that's what it is. Wraps it up on a Thursday from Harris Cherokee. 22 hours. Recharge those batteries. Be back this time tomorrow with more Chuck Oliver Show right here. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.